That's it. Uh, that's just all talk. Okay. At some point, we're going to get to a message this morning. All right. Let's focus. Today, we're coming to a passage in 1 Peter. And if you haven't got your Bibles, hit pause, run and grab your Bible, come back, sit down on the couch, make sure you have your Bible. You're going to want to take some notes. Uh, and here's what I want to preface for you. For the next three weeks, I want to encourage you to buckle your seatbelt, uh, read ahead, pray ahead and make sure you have the heart and mind coming into it because we've got three weeks of some difficult passages. And like Alex and I have always said, we're not going to tiptoe around or away from any passage. We're going to hit them all uh, verse by verse head on. Um, but I can just warn you now, uh, there will it's impossible for the next three weeks to give uh, ultimate truth that everyone's going to like. Uh, and so please, please, please listen to the whole thing. Uh, the scriptures are very pointed, very directional, and today is no different. So let's jump right into it. First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. We're going to be going verses uh, 13 to 17. And so I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, it's actually great if you're reading out of a different one uh, because you can see some of the word changes, uh, but you can highlight things nevertheless. So let's begin in verse 13. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. That's our word of the Lord for this morning. Uh, a few short sentences, but packed with an incredible amount of meat. Remember that Peter's purpose in writing this epistle to his readers in kind of the northern area of Asia, Asia Minor is uh, to uh, remind the readers that Jesus Christ is their cornerstone. He's the true source of of hope. The recipients are first century Christians who have been removed from their homeland. They are scattered and mistreated and ostracized by other people within the community. They're made fun of. They are imprisoned and they are enslaved. And eventually, we're going to get to the point where they are captured and tortured for gain. So this is the context that Peter is writing under these authorities. These are people who were rejected by family members. Imagine not talking to your son or daughter anymore because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're singled out by employers, uh, kind of judged because of their faith, and they're attacked by the very law enforcement officers that are in place to protect them. They are not protected. They are attacked. And all of them throughout the entire empire, everyone living in those times in that area, they're living under an emperor 
who is becoming increasingly insane. He is a, a living psychopath, and it will only get significantly worse as he becomes increasingly anti-Christian, and that emperor's name is Nero. You can do a lot of studies on him. Not a good dude. So when Peter begins his God-honoring response, in other words, as Christians, how do you respond when you are not being respected? He's writing under the context of this cultural reality, and he says, submit to all human authority. And this just isn't a crazy idea. It's a radical idea. It would be one that Peter was not the most popular person in town. They might have loved the first two chapters of his epistle leading up to it, but when they got to this section, there were some straight faces, there were some frowns, there were some arguments, there was probably some yelling. This was not received well. The word submit actually comes from the Greek word hupotasso. It's it's a word that describes deferring to another's authority. And it's times like this in the Bible that when people say salvation costs you nothing, they're actually wrong. It costs you everything. For you to be called to submit, it it masks the idea that's often thrown out there that Christianity is free. It costs you nothing. I would beg to differ. It costs you absolutely everything because a brutal authority... A brutal authority in in culture might impose his will on an unwilling subject at the time. However, Peter calls for Christians, Christ followers, to submit with a willing heart. Now, I have to admit to you, uh, I've been studying and reading and praying all week long. And I was telling the team before we kind of got started, this has not been a fun week. I don't, um, I don't enjoy every piece of scripture. There are some hard things to muscle through. And I have to admit to you, this has not been especially joyful and fun, but it is good. And so I just invite you to hang with me as we kind of work through this. Because there's a difference between a forced willing subject and a subject who submits willingly. In my police days, we had a lot of bad guys. And I know you're not supposed to deem people bad, but truly there were some bad guys who did not want to go very kindly. And to those individuals, they received a lot of knees and fists and tasers and pepper spray and batons to eventually get them. And eventually you would hear, okay, 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 okay. And there was a submission. That was a forced submission to take someone into custody. Other people, very respectful, very kind, very mature, would turn around, realize their guilt, put their hands behind their back and almost walk themselves into the car. One was forced submission. One was a very willing heart to submit. And what Peter is getting to is in regards to your governing authorities, it's not the former, it's the latter that we are called to, that we are called to have a willing, submissive heart to those who are in authority above us. Submitting to human government, according to the Bible, requires that we render to Caesar. 
in civil obedience. That's from Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, if you wanted to make a note of that. It involves sincere and authentic prayer for, the, for our rulers that are in positions over us in their authority. That's from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And both of these areas completely focus on we do this whether we agree with their politics or policies unless it's blatantly against what God calls us to as Christians. Save that, we are called to render to Caesar and pray for those who are in the position above us. I wonder how often have you been praying for our government leaders from the top all the way down and not in general, but by name. You see, it's hard to hate someone if you're praying for them. It means that we live honorably and peacefully within their realms, within the society that they govern. Again, remember, this is to us today, but it's also to the people of the first century church. Followers of Jesus, according to the scriptures, are called to be model citizens. We are called not to be rebels or misfits. We are not called to champion the phrase, not my president. We are called not to throw garbage on social media, disrespecting and dishonoring those that are in governing authorities above us. If that stings, I hope it does. Because that's what scripture is saying. That's what we are called to. And so Peter goes as far as to say, as a Christian, you are to recognize the higher authorities and even the local authorities. Some of your versions might say to respect and honor both the king and the governors. That is to say, every area of government that goes even below the king or for us would be the president. You say, well, how far does that go? That goes regardless of their corruption, their idolatry, and the existing authorities, whether they were respected or in compliant with Christians or not. Now, let me pause for a moment. This is not an easy message. Because if you're like me, I'm begging the question, why? All week long, I've been asking Peter through the Lord, but I've been asking Peter, why? Why, when you were subject to uh, such a governing authority, why is it so important to respect and honor and to live above reproach? And Peter gives the reason for this radical call to submission in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish man. All right, well, what does that mean? What was going on at the time? And what does that mean for you and I and the church today? Because it's more than just obey your teacher, obey the president, obey your governor. What's the purpose behind this? What was the Holy Spirit guiding Peter in saying these things? The word for silence is phimao. It literally means to muzzle, uh, to put a muzzle around one's mouth. And most of the New Testament uses the term in its metaphorical sense as to render somebody speechless because of their guilt or speechless because you won a debate or even to submit to a higher authority. But here, Peter has in mind the metaphorical muzzling of Christianity's 
foolish opponents. You see, it's not the individual who's muzzled. It's those who are bringing accusations against the Christians. So let me give you, let me paint the picture of what was going on at the time and allow you to kind of picture it. Picture first century Christianity, a lot of robes, a lot of sandals, a lot of donkeys, a lot of camels, a lot of dirt. And, and they're under this oppression of Nero and many more people to come. And the first century Christ followers are trying to figure out, get this, they're trying to figure out how to do church. They're trying to figure out what does church look like within the confines of our culture, a culture that really doesn't want much to do with God, a church that has restrictions, a, a church that can't necessarily meet together. Does that sound a little bit familiar? And in doing so, there's a lot of baseless charges and rumors that have been flying around about Christian throughout those days. A lot of accusations and lies are rampant at this time. It, it would sound very much like this. Those Christians, they're just a rebellious sect. Uh, those Christians, they want to overthrow the government. Those Christians, they want to actually go to war. Those Christians, they're traitors. These are the false ignorant statements that are being levied against Christians of the day. Now, for us, we don't get these accusations. We get others. But nevertheless, we're in the same company as these churches throughout Asia Minor. And what Peter was teaching the church is that by submitting voluntarily, by going with the program, not putting up a fight, by doing what is right before God and people, that in doing so, they would muzzle the mouths of those who are slinging that mud at and about Christians. That's what would put a stop to it and thus open a chance for the gospel message to go out and to change lives. It's fascinating to think about this. And so Peter is saying, be above that. Be above the restrictions that you're in. Be above the lies and the torments and the deceit and the rumors that are flying around about you. And now, I want to take this a little bit more and make it real for you and I today. Because as great as it is to study the Scriptures... And as great as it is to study the recipients who were reading the scriptures, it's also important for you and I to receive the word of God in the context for our culture today because God is still speaking in and through it. So here's my preface, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just giving you what the word of the Lord says. In today's times, we as Americans submit to the president of the United States or the governor of Colorado, even if we didn't vote for him or his party. To do otherwise puts you in direct tension with what the scriptures are calling you to do as a Christian. We submit to the decisions of lawmakers, even though we think their laws are sometimes senseless or excessive. That's what we do. In short, we submit not because we are blind nationalists, but because according to the scriptures, we are bond slaves of God. 
In fact, we're free only for the one who purchased us, not free in and of ourselves. And therefore, we have an obligation to serve Jesus Christ. And to do so, we need to live in such a way that brings honor to his reputation in the public sphere. Now, I'm sure that if you are watching or listening online, both here in person, but also uh, throughout the masses on our YouTube channel, um, there are some thoughts and emotions that have bubbled to the surface already throughout this message. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't agree, maybe you have some justifications, um, and you've got some questions. Here maybe some questions. What does this mean for you and your family? What does this mean for your friends? What does this mean for your social inter interaction with government? What does this mean for potential stakes that are thrown in the ground in protest? What does this mean uh, and how does this affect your civil liberties and your voice in culture? And I'm not going to answer any of those. <laughs> because what I want you to do is just lie in that uncomfortableness. Because that puts you in great company with the churches that are receiving this letter. I want you to, to lie in that tension of not agreeing with those who are in authority of you, but a command given to you in the Word of God. And as you lie in that uncomfortableness, what I want to do is turn briefly to what does that mean for us as a church. I want to share both theologically and practically, but I also want to share some of these phases. It means that our responsibility as Christ followers, as a church, is to, wherever possible, submit to human government, to honor human government, to respect human government, to not speak ill of human government. It also means, at times, that our responses to that same government that may practice or encourage evil has to be approached wisely, carefully, and prayerfully. And yes, that includes COVID. That's no different. And as we as a leadership continue to have several meetings on what it looks like to get us back together, worshiping and meeting together, we are always talking about what is God calling us to do and what is our government asking of us. Now, at times this can be a gray area. It's not so cut and dry. I wish it were. In fact, this week, Alex and I are waiting. Uh, Governor Polis is going to... Um, unleash several new restriction guidelines that the Colorado government is asking of faith communities that begin to meet together. We have a lot of preliminary plans. We have a lot of phases, but we're, we're trying our best to honor, respect, and to give credit to that governing authority that gives us those restrictions. Now, I know with a lot of you online, and that are watching here live, um, raise your hand if you have an opinion about this virus. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion about this virus, whether it be how it's affected schools, how dangerous it is, if the government made it up, how deadly is it, you name it. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's listened to a podcast or a news or, or read an article. Everybody has an opinion. But 
what is important for you to understand that as a leadership, we are looking out for your interests, the community's safe, safety, and upholding the respectable name of Jesus Christ within our community. In other words, we don't want to fly ahead of community and give even more fuel to the fire to criticize the church. That would give Jesus a bad name. Because make no mistake, culture is watching the church. They're watching Christians to see how they respond to this or if we think we're above it all. And so there's a balancing act there. What this means is that we don't ignore government. We, we don't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to government when they ask us to put some safety precautions in place when we begin to meet as a church. That might mean distancing. That might be sitting farther apart or in a different room. That might be entering and exiting separate doors, uh, sanitation stations, rooms being changed around, temperature checks, and a new way of discovering how we can do this thing called church while being respectful to the new authority. We have plans, and those are going to be rolled out here in the next week and a half as we receive feedback from the government, but all of it is loose with the idea of balancing government and what God has called of us. You might disagree with that, but I'm, I'm just giving you uh, the truth on how we as a leadership are approaching this. And with the previous admonishment in place, the question comes up, well, what does this mean for me individually? If that's the church, what does it mean for me individually? And Peter ends this section with four brief commands in rapid succession. It's almost like a rally call. He says, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, respect the king. It's almost as if he's going, hey, I know there's a lot of big words in here. You might not even know the language. Someone else might have read it. Let me just narrow all this down so that you can clearly understand what's expected of you with the governing authorities that you're living under. Respect everybody. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. We're going to just unpack all four of those super fast. These are 14 words, quite honestly, that are easy for me to rattle off my mouth. But when I begin to think how I live those out, they create a very difficult balancing act because we are called to honor and respect all people, regardless of their faith in Christ, regardless of their godless lifestyles, and regardless of their attitude toward Christians. That means that we don't point fingers at culture. We embrace. We don't look at culture and see the differences. We see the common, the common denominators of ourselves. We don't whisper behind culture's back as the holy huddle. We genuinely love. We love people that don't look like us. We love people that don't talk like us. We love people that have different sexual orientations than us. We love people that commit crimes and don't commit crimes. We love those who are widowed and divorced and married and single in college and young and old. And the list goes on. We don't differentiate. It's like in our house, we say we include, we don't exclude. Well, that's the essence of what the scriptures are saying. And that's different 
than what culture says our church is. Our church says all we do is judge people. Our culture says that the church, all they do is segregate people. Well, some might, but that's not the church. That's not the essence of the church. And so many people have walked away because the church judges. The church fights. The church is just as bad as the culture that we drive around in. And Peter's saying, be above that. As you're in exile, be above those things. And at the same time, we're called to love. To love the family of believers unconditionally. Now, this might be a newsflash for you, but you're not going to like everybody you go to church with. Does that make sense? You're not going to love and be best friends with every person that sings the worship song sitting next to you or that's in your life group. Do not have that expectation. But we are called to love. And that's different. That's a sacrifice. That's not feeling-based. That's factually, foundationally based. And so Peter is saying the community of believers that you're in for sure, don't have any backbiting and rabble amongst you. Life is hard enough out in the world of the lies and the deceit that's being slung at you. Love each other. Don't create tension there. And then Peter says that God must have our reverence or our fear, some of your uh, versions say. This means that we treat his will as ultimate supreme. That means that the scriptures... The things that we read in these pages, they're not suggestions. They're not an option of one of many ways. The Bible makes it very clear that the only way to the Father is through the Son. And then the Bible also makes it clear, what does it mean to walk with the Son? And when we have reverence or fear to God, it means that we take what's on his pages and we treat his commands as ultimate truth. And the fear comes by walking away and thinking you and I can do it on our own. That we know better. That we know that God suggested those things, but I've really thought about it. I've done some research and I'm going to choose to go my own way. And I would say to you, fear God by doing such a thing. And as, as if those first three weren't enough, Peter says that as Christ followers, we must respect or honor the king. Not the king of kings and lord of lords, but the king of the land, who in fact may hate us, who may hate his own people, and may very well hate God. Yes, To that king, you are still called to honor and respect and obey. You say, well, Brian, I don't know if I can do those things, especially that last one. I'm not not quite sure that I can swallow that. Well, let's be realistic about this. The Bible never suggests that rulers will be perfect and that our civil submission is conditional upon our government modeling Christian virtues or reflecting Christian behavior or morality. Nowhere does the Bible say that. Nowhere does the Bible say respect and honor and obey those who are in governing authorities as long as they uh, model before you good Christian virtues. 
It doesn't do that. What it says is all human authority. Is that hard for you? It's hard for me. It means when there's a, a stop sign that you think's in a ridiculous place, that there's never cars, it means you still stop at it. means when there's a ridiculous um, miles per hour sign on a given street and you go, this is ridiculous, it means you still obey it. It means when someone is in a role of authority as president, you respect them. Not if they've earned your respect. You respect them and you honor them and you don't speak ill of them. That's what Christ followers do. Because remember, in Peter's day, the emperor wasn't a, a benevolent pro-Christian monarchy. Not even close. At the time of this letter, a percentage of the taxes that Christians paid supported the construction of pagan temples and funded unjust war. Sound familiar? And a lot of their money went to those things. Let's go back to our emperor, Nero, good old Nero. This guy was a psychopath, as I mentioned earlier, and he was notoriously cruel towards Christ followers. He hated them. And eventually, he would uh, send out his cronies, his army, to round up Christians in a torturous manner, bring them back into the city, and then kill them for his own pleasure. It was his form of watching Netflix. Killing of the Christians, torturing of the Christians was his version of binge watching. And that is the context that the people receive Peter's instructions. There are historical documents of the first century church struggling with this directive. People asking, shouldn't they just refuse to pay the taxes that support such an oppressive regime? Maybe they should take up arms and resist the government with such a leader. And Peter, very simply and very quietly, remember this is the Peter who drew his sword, but Peter responds very gently and quietly and he says to your questions, no. You are not to do those things. Because nowhere in Scripture are revolt and anarchy supported or encouraged. Well, what does this not mean? This does not mean that God endorses every single particular leader. Neither does he approve of all of particular laws that stand in complete defiance against his will. And, and if you look in the book of Daniel, it's the perfect example in Daniel chapter 6 where Christians are called. If it flies in the face of what God is calling to you, that and only then are the times when you stand up and resist your government. But unless it falls into that category, you are to respect and honor. It also doesn't say that they're instructed to keep silent when there's obvious social or political injustices that have to do with morality. There is a time for culture to stand up and have a voice. 
but it is only within certain guidelines. Otherwise, we are to remain silent as Jesus did, silent before the slaughter. We are to remain silent and in obedience so that we can reflect Christ. You can look at Herod and John in Mark chapter 6 and, and look at what that looks like from a political and moral injustice. This is a tension with authority. And it's not easy. I have lived, and, and some of you have lived through many, many more, but I have lived and am living uh, through nine presidents. Some of them I don't remember. S most of them I remember very, very vividly. And I don't approve of all of them. I didn't vote for all of them. And I make it a habit on a regular basis not to post politically on social media. I make it a habit not to talk politics in a sermon because I think those things have to be set out. But when it comes to morality, when it comes to social injustice, when it comes to the heart of who God is, then yes, we have a voice. But whether we know it or not, every single one of those presidents were under the authority of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? They may not have known it, but they were under the authority of Jesus, who God says, I give all authority in heaven and earth is to him. Nero was under the authority of Jesus, but he wouldn't submit to that authority. He wouldn't listen, and he developed a spirit of lawlessness that no law is going to confine me. No law is going to define me. No law, no law is going to control me. I will control myself. And he developed this spirit of lawlessness, this spirit that is the exact definition of Satan himself. You see, Satan is intimately identified with lawlessness, with anti-authority, with individualism. That's who Satan is. And he flaunts it and he shouts it from the rooftops. You see, our world as we know it came about with lawlessness. It came about through Adam and Eve, their act of lawlessness, their refusal to submit to the authority of the Creator. And therefore, every time that we don't submit to the rules that plague all of us, we are casting our vote with lawlessness. We are casting our vote on the side of the enemy. But theologically, according to Peter, every time we cast our vote in submission, every time we go out of our way to submit, we bear witness to the one whose law stands above every law. And according to the scriptures, that allows us to stand out from the foreign land that we're living in. It allows us as exiles to set an example. Every time we obey our employer, Every time you obey your mom and dad, kids, 
Every time we obey our government, we honor Christ. Every time. Because submission is of God who reigns over the whole universe. The Bible then says that when we were still strangers to the kingdom of God, we walked according to the course of this world. That is, we walked according to the power of the prince of this world, to the ruler of this world. We walked to his beat according to the lusts of our flesh just as the rest of the world. That's what life used to look like. And the Bible says that while we were still in that state of sin, that while we were still in that state of darkness, the Holy Spirit got us and made us new creatures and called us out of the land of darkness and into the land of life. That's why you're sitting here today. That's why your Bible's open. That's why you're taking things, whether you agree with them or not, you're struggling to work out your salvation with fear and trembling through the pages of the scriptures. That's why you're singing with Melanie and Alex. Because you were rescued in your darkness. And then he put deep within our souls a new desire to please God rather than disobey him to do the things of God rather than the things of man. And so when we offer submission to the governing authorities of the world, we're not offering a door-like weakness. We're not a doormat. We don't just lay down and let us be trampled. It's not weakness, but we are showing our commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is what sustains you. Notice that Peter didn't write to the people and say, focus on Nero. No, he said, if you focus on on having reverence and honor and respect for authority, you will honor the king. Make that your focus. And this is yet another step in our education of what it is to live as exiles in a land that's not our home. Irv's birthday was two days ago three days ago he would have been 93 passed away just before this COVID stuff and I jumped on his Facebook and I and I sent him a message and I just said man I sure miss you I really hope you're enjoying heaven and your bride because that's his home this wasn't his hospital bed wasn't his home his pain wasn't his home He's home now. And what we're learning as we walk through this study is to live in a land that's not our ultimate home, to live with government who's not our ultimate master, but we have to learn to live within its confines. And as we do so, according to the word of God, we bring honor and glory to the name of God. So I wonder how you might live this out this week. I wonder what things you might not do because of this. I wonder what things you will do because of this. I would encourage you, very countercultural, look for some ways to submit to somebody. 
Look for a way to submit to God. Look for a way to put in place, submit to all human authority. Look for ways to love others. Even to those in authority that you may not like. I can think of very few things that are more fitting for today. You turn on the news and you watch all the rhetoric that's going on one side or another. And as Christians, we just have a very unique opportunity to live above the fray. I'm not saying that's easy. It's not been easy for me all week. So I can't imagine what it's like for you hearing this for the first time. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you as you take information and as you have discussions with friends and family and neighbors. Don't let them turn angry. Don't let them turn attacking. Keep that door open so that God can keep using you. And I'm glad I'm in it with you. I'm good. I'm glad that I don't have it all figured out and just wrestling through the words on the pages. And there's more to come. With meeting back together and election season coming and everything else, man, there's, we better figure this out quick. Because this is what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I think of Peter's final call. <laughs> his, his final demand of what we do, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. It's so easy to say and it's a lot more difficult to live out, especially when we approach some of these topics emotionally charged and strong convictions. And yet we are ultimately responsible on how we react to you. So as the Bible calls us, I pray that you would help us to watch our tongue very closely. Watch our tongue in speech. Watch our tongue in our fingers that type. Watch our hearts. Watch our attitudes and demeanors. And that you would reveal any wicked way in us. And give us the courage and the strength to approach those things and work on them with you. So thank you for church. Thank you for the measures that we're putting in place to get us back together. Thank you that you continue to give us creativity and guidance. Thank you for our government. Thank you for Donald Trump. Pray that you would watch over him and guide him for Vice President Pence, for all of their staff, their cabinet, for the other 
branches of government all the way down to the municipal level. Pray that you would please work through them for your good, whether they walk with you or not. So we honor them because you say to honor them and we pray for them because you say to pray for them. And pray that your desires would be carried out on behalf of their authority. And where that is extremely difficult for us, would you please, please, please sit beside us and walk with us as we try and figure that out. Every day that you give us breath, we promise to praise you and give you credit and glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus Christ.